Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison, and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past, and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey everyone, welcome back to this series on real people overcoming real problems. Before we dive into today's episode, I am beyond excited to announce today the launch of my brand new Summer of You private online community. I created this space for everyone who pre-orders my new book, The Best of You, so that we can discuss the book, this podcast, and a bunch of other bonus resources over the coming months together. Head over to my website, drallisoncook.com backslash book to find out how to join this new group where we'll learn to break free from painful patterns and show up in our lives and in our relationships as our truest God-made selves. Today, we're talking with my new friend, Mary Morantz, about overcoming limiting beliefs. Now, I became familiar with Mary with her first book, Dirt, which is an amazing book about her journey out of rural West Virginia. It's a beautiful book, and I was so excited when I realized I was going to get to meet her just a few months ago. I think I kind of like, we were the first two people to meet at the airport, and I kind of like immediately dove in with about 20 million questions for you, Mary. You were so gracious because I also had a story of leaving a very rural part of the country to go to New England, to go to college. We sort of had this shared experience, different connotations to it, but a shared experience of of really leaving one world to kind yeah. of go into a different type of world. And so I just had a bazillion questions for you. And I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Mary is just a wealth of wisdom, of insight, just so many talents, a photographer, an entrepreneur, an author. Her newest book, Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots just came out. So we're going to hear about that as well. Mary, thank you so much for being with me here today. Oh my gosh. I That whole intro just reminds me of like why you love people so well and how you love people so well and like why I felt instantly drawn to you in Arizona. I'm just so thankful to be here. So thanks for having me. Well, this is one of the new perks I'm finding of podcasts. You have been a podcaster for a while. You're an amazing podcaster. These are some of my first guest interviews, and I'm realizing this is why it's so amazing because you get to connect on a deeper level. It's like, let's do it on the podcast. Let's talk. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I am an introvert, and I feel like this is an introvert's dream because it's like deep conversations one-on-one for an hour. Yeah, I love it. Yes, yes. I get to ask you about your life story. We're going to go there. (laughs) Well, I like to start these interviews going back a little bit and learning a little bit more about your journey. So your first book, Dirt, is about your journey. I had originally said your journey out of poverty. Now, you had a little bit of an interesting angle on that word that I want to hear about. But it was you really grew up in uh, pretty extreme circumstances and then ended up in a very different place. So I want to go back in time to who you were what your life was like at maybe your teenage self, kind of on the cusp of getting ready to be the first person in your family, right, to go to college, to even maybe apply to college. Tell me a little bit about that part of your life. Yeah. Well, so let's start with that word, like you mentioned, that word poverty and like why there is like a complicated relationship with a word like that, why I have a complicated relationship, why I think a lot of people do. There's a few different angles that I just want to touch on briefly. So for everybody listening and you haven't met me or this is the first time we're being introduced, you can actually see if you search for thebookdirt.com or if you just Google the book, the cover that comes up, that is the actual trailer that I grew up in West Virginia. My husband, Justin, actually took that photo the first time I took him home to meet my family. And What is interesting is that something I've come to learn about poverty is that there are a lot of different kinds of poverty in the world. You can have poverty of home, which is what I would say. If I had any kind of poverty, that's what I would say it was. It was just, it was crumbling, you know, from when I was very little all the way through when I I left after high school, uh, leaky roof and the floors caving in and there, you know, mushrooms growing out of the floor and we had stray animals who would just go inside. So there were a lot of different kinds of dirt as well. 
And, you know, I think you can also have something like, let's say, a poverty of food where you have like food insecurity. I have a friend who grew up in a beautiful double wide. Her home looked very pretty from the outside, but they were always worried where the next meal was going to come from. And then there's poverty of education, poverty of love. So there are a lot of different kinds of poverty. It's a very complex issue, but it also gets even more complex when you add in something like the Appalachia that I grew up in and the family I grew up in where there's a lot of pride and there's a very strong work ethic. And mm-hmm. in our minds, you could not be in poverty if you were out working. If you were going out, using your hands to put food on the table for your family, then do not associate that word poverty with us. And so there's a lot of complications telling a story where one of the things that was important for me in honoring my dad and honoring my family was that I would be okay saying we didn't grow up with a lot. Gosh, I even go in the book. You, I feel like you would love this part. We go back to even my mom talking about how they didn't even have running water. And she said, but we never went without. We were never in poverty. You know? And if that's not it, what is? You know. And so there is this interesting identity issue that comes in. You can, you can say we come from a rural, you know, like in general, like say we come from a rural area, but like, no, poverty in us, we, we won't accept that. Association. So it's really interesting culturally. And it's been a real challenge as I have left that area. You know, I've lived in Connecticut now for 20 some years where you can leave a place and go, wow, maybe some of that really isn't normal. And this gets into our conversation about beliefs. Those things get into your brain about how you view things because of how you were raised. So it's interesting. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, mm-hmm. your book trailer video for Dirt, is that your actual, is that your dad mm-hmm. in the video? It and, is. And, yes. Okay. That's amazing. It's an amazing video. Thank I, you. I'd encourage people to check it out. Yeah. I do, I do get what you're saying. Coming also from growing up in a very small rural Wyoming is, or rural West Virginia are sort of, I guess, <laughs> they go hand in hand. Yeah. Very small town. There's that pride. And, and these, these words do mean different things to different people. So I appreciate that, that context what were some of the limiting beliefs? Now, I know some of these come in hindsight, right? And I want to just for our listeners, this idea of limiting beliefs is really just what it means. It's yeah. What I've come to notice about them in my work with clients is usually we're not aware of them. Mm. We don't think, oh, I have these limiting beliefs. We have these beliefs that we attach onto, that we tack onto, that we think are true, mm. And then over time, as you begin to differentiate and you go, wow, I I have that belief, but what if that belief isn't actually true? And what if that belief is actually limiting how I can be and what I can do in the world? But but initially, Mm. they don't feel, we don't identify them as limiting beliefs. They're just beliefs that we have. Yeah. And so if you could put yourself back in time, back when you were kind of that girl in the trailer, Can you identify what some of the beliefs were that you might have picked up about yourself? Yeah, I think that's 100% true. What you just described, Allison, where there's that saying about like the fish don't know the water's toxic because it's all around them and they're so immersed in it. And so when I think back about some beliefs that were either explicitly or implicitly passed on to me or, or that was the water around me, you know, A big one is that my dad in particular, he had two kind of beliefs that I think go hand in hand. One of them was he was notorious for saying, not about me, for me, I was going to get out and I was going to go to college. But anytime we talked about making his life easier or better or growing his business, he owns a logging business, he would always say, this is the way it is. (laughs) He always called me kid growing up. So he'd always say, kid, let me tell you, this is how it is. This is how it was. This is how it always will be. So this idea that... In his mind, he was just marked for a hard life and anything that he tried to do to make that, let it be easy, let it be light, let it scale, let it, you know, grow abundantly. In his head, that, that was a foregone conclusion. So there were, he had very strong limiting beliefs about himself that mm. I kind of like by osmosis sort of absorbed. And then to go hand in hand with that, he would also, he had a really big problem with rich people. And so Uh I can remember, so we grew up in, I grew up in Richwood in Nicholas County. And on the other side of Nicholas County is Somersville. And those are rivals, rivals in high school, rivals in everything, basically. And that side of the county was always considered to be the the wealthier side or the better off side. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in Somersville at the Pizza Hut and there's a giant, you know, house on the hill. You know, it wasn't really even that giant. It was just a nice brick house, whatever. And my dad saying, kid, by God, let me tell you, if I ever see you having a house up on a hill looking down on people like that, 
And uh, so it, it very much was clear to me that there are good people and there are rich people and the two are not the same. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about this idea of what, what are you talking about? I'm working with my hands. I'm putting food on the table. How could I right. be in poverty to him? If something came too easy to you, either it was handed to you because you were well off or it was handed to you because you refused to go out and work. In either mm -hmm. cases, your character was flawed. And mm. so I have really had to struggle with this idea that if anything comes by gift, if anything comes by grace, if anything mm. comes by just God being very abundant to me, then I probably didn't deserve it and I, I probably should give it back. Like, I, I don't want it if I didn't do it. Yeah. Wow. So, so almost <laughs> like this that. idea that if, <laughs> yeah, if it's not sort of, and I, I almost hear in that a little bit, if it's not a little bit painful or if it's not a little bit, if anything's too easy or if anything's to, even if you're really good at it and it just so happens that it allows you to afford a different kind of life, that inherently there's something bad about that. 100%. So sort of give yourself the freedom to maybe want to pursue a different kind of life had to be kind of hard. Yeah. But yet, and yet, so I imagine you're holding this tension inside of you. Is that, I mean, looking back, could you feel that tension of, okay, I'm hearing this and I don't want to be one of the bad people on the hill, but maybe there was a part of you that also was like, maybe I don't want to live with, you know, mushrooms growing in my sure. floor for the rest of my life. Were you aware of that tension inside of you at the time? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, even as I say, you leave a place and that's when you kind of go, oh gosh, maybe it's not that normal for a trailer to be in that condition. At the same time, even when I was there, there was something in me that knew I was going to go out and build a more beautiful okay. life, a safe life, a quote unquote good life. And this is, we'll get into this later, I bet, but this is where slow growth comes in a lot more. Like that's the book for the woman who's gone and tried to do that. And I got in a lot of the, my version of the good life was informed by, you know, in a very 80s sort of way, like what I saw on TV. Right? Yeah, so it's yeah. like full house with their golden retriever and like, who's the boss with their nice house in the country yep. outside of New York, which is like Connecticut or Westchester. And so I live in Connecticut with golden retrievers and it's not <laughs> lost on me that that young version, you know, that young mind was shaped by what I saw that I didn't have. It's so fascinating you said that to me because so many people I've worked with throughout these years, they get a glimpse of something on television. Yeah. That gives, it's a really powerful medium in the 80s. The, I had a, I don't know if you were a John Hughes person, but I was thinking of the movie Pretty in Pink when yeah. you were talking about that. Oh, for where sure. She, right, where she's going and kind of, yeah. and there's this tension, you know, you sort of don't want it, but you also want it. A recent survey found that seven in 10 parents get an average of just three hours of sleep a night in their baby's first year. Moms, you deserve to have quality sleep. And I know one thing that will help. It's Cozy Earth. You can discover the secret to better sleep with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products. And here's an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for our listeners. Use code BESTOFYOU for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Cozy Earth bedding products are crafted with temperature-regulating technology that adapts to your body's needs through all phases of motherhood. And they use only the very best fabrics, materials, and weaves, offering superior softness that invites you to sink into a world of comfort. The best part is Cozy Earth stands by the quality and longevity of their products. Enjoy a 100-night sleep trial and a 10-year warranty on all purchases. They're built to last through the hardest days and the longest nights. Treat yourself to ultimate comfort with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code BESTOFYOU for an exclusive 35% off. The luxury she deserves. Cozy Earth. Getting high-quality food and household essentials delivered right to my doorstep, whether it's my favorite Dave's Killer Bread, incredible wine, or seventh-generation cleaning supplies has been a game-changer for me. I love that Thrive Market only allows trusted, top-quality ingredients while restricting thousands of harmful ingredients like artificial flavors, high-fructose corn syrup, and more. And with just a few clicks, I can filter out ingredients that I don't want, like gluten or high-sugar content, making it so easy to find the items I need for my family. 
Best of all, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash best of you for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash best of you. Thrivemarket.com slash best of you. Okay. So your dad, it sounds like had, he wanted you to advance. Like, did he, he want you to go to college? And these, you mentioned very clearly that he had these ideas about himself, Mm. but then somehow you went on and went off to college. You were the first person in your family to go to college Mm -hmm. and then continued on to go to Yale law school. So (laughs) clearly somehow in there, some part of you, was it just you making that happen? At what point were you having to kind of differentiate from your dad? Yeah. How did that yeah. go? You know, I would say my dad wanted me to, quote unquote, get out of mm-hmm. where we were up to an extent. And that extent was what I call the irregular heartbeat of the West Virginia border, this rising and falling crooked line of the West Virginia border. And he wanted me, he was like dead set on me going to WVU because he saw that as like the pinnacle of education and it's, it's, you know, there's a rivalry with, again, with WVU and Marshall. There, every, at every stage, there's a rivalry, but this was WVU versus Marshall. Both of them are great universities, but in my dad's eyes, like WVU was the pinnacle. And so I was not even going to try to go to WVU when I was in high school because I saw a poster on the wall in my guidance counselor's office. That had been the plan. I was going to go with my friend. Mm-hmm. And then I saw this poster and it had a WVU by the stats and it said 22,000 students. And our whole town, if you brought everybody down from the mountain, had 2,000 people in it. And so I, here's another limiting belief. And it's so weird sometimes when you have begun to break free from beliefs like these to actually say it and go, this is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. This is genuinely what I believed, that I believed that if you started small, you were destined Mm -hmm. for small. If you came from a small town, Hmm. Like WVU, for example, gets a lot of New Jersey students coming in because out-of-state West Virginia U is cheaper than in-state Rutgers. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, I was immediately going to be behind them. I was immediately going to be, you know, whether it's like not as prepared as them or dumber than them or whatever. I genuinely, genuinely thought I was going to fail out if I went to WVU. And there's not even an ounce of exaggeration. I, I removed that possibility for a good semester of high school while I tried to figure out where I wanted to go. And the only reason I changed my mind was I realized that WVU was the only university in the state that had a law school. And that talking about that tension earlier, I thought I was going to fail out. And yet there's this like tension of like the girl who wants to break free, wanting to see it through to go to law school. And I thought at the time you had to go to law school wherever you did your undergrad, that it was just like a seven-year program. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I sent in an application to WVU. And so he was really happy about that. But then I go to WVU and that opens my eyes to the world. I join the debate team. Mm -hmm. We're traveling for that. And I start looking at law schools out of the state and he was not pleased about Mm -hmm. it. He's not pleased at all. And I actually took a gap year where I went to England in between to go get my master's. And I told him I was going to England the week after 9-11. 9-11 happens. And I get the call that I got the scholarship, the Rotary Scholarship. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to go live, you know, what what may as well have been the like middle of the war for him, you know, like anything outside of West Virginia was not safe to him. So yeah, we started to really battle and butt heads then, and there was not a pretty scene in the airport the day I left. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting how you describe the inner tension, right? And I, I just want to pause there for a second that... It's so amazing how we have that. Like, there's a part of you that's like, I can't do it. I won't be able to do it. I can't. I can't. I can't. And then there's this other part of you that's like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I mean, you know, like, I'm going to law school, right? I mean, these two, very real. And imagine, I mean, now you can probably get a little distance from that. And But at the time, you know, you're 18, 19, that inner tension creates a lot of chaos inside, right? Where you're, you're battling against yourself, a little bit. You've got one part of you that really believes you can't do it. One part of you that clearly is going to do it anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, you get out there, you realize, okay, I, I think I can do this. I'm at WVU. I'm seeing this bigger world. That part of you starting to get a little more brave, yeah. a little more, I think I can. And then all of a sudden, then the tension goes to 
dad. Yeah. Right? Because you're starting to expand, but dad is still, parents, you know, whoever we're dealing with at home is still kind of back in their limiting beliefs. Yeah. And so then you got to bust out that way. I mean, it's just a lot. Sometimes I look back at those early 20s and think about all we're wrestling with. Yeah. So you you get there, you you kind of expand internally, maybe to believe a little bit more in yourself and your own capacity, mm. it sounds like. Yeah. Then you bump up against dad. That had to be painful. Oh yeah. I it mean, was it was not good. I'll tell you what, like what's really interesting about this story, just to even like paint the full picture, is that my dad and I grew up in the same yard. So they my parents who got married very young brought in their single wide trailer and parked it just as a temporary solution on the back part of my grandma. And at the time, grandma and grandpa's yard, he passed mm-hmm. away a couple years later. And it still sits there to this day from this temporary solution. And so I'm growing up in the same yard. I'm about to start school with the same elementary school. I'm going to the same Sunday school that Goldie, my grandma, used to take him to. And so my dad sees this like, oh, we are, she's just like repeating history. Like she's checking the boxes. We're in the same origin story. If I don't do something, she will have a life as hard as mine. And he was very determined that I would not have a life as hard as his, where I had to go out and, you know, work in the elements or or have it very, you know, just struggle mm-hmm. forever and ever and, and a low paying job. So we're starting off having almost the exact same experiences. And then mm-hmm. I go out and I start to have these different experiences Right. It's kind of like, it's almost like those movies about like clones. And then like they start having different experiences. And when do they become separate people? That was Mm -hmm. a weird reference, but I'm thinking of like a Michael Keaton movie where they just keep cloning him and the copies of copies. And it's just a very interesting movie. Anyway, so yes, we, I start to have different worldviews. I start to live in different places, visit different places. I'm studying world governments. You know, I'm debating intense sanction resolutions and things like that as part of the debate team. And suddenly I'm not the person he knew. And it can be like a betrayal. Uh, Yeah. uh, It's so true. And there's so many ways that can happen in those critical years when we are supposed to be differentiating from parents, right? It is what ultimately our job as parents is to launch, you know, but it can create so much tension and it can be so hard, even if it's, I mean, I hear what you're saying is it's sort of what my dad wanted for me, but when it started to happen, it was like, but who are you? Mm, It was like, get out, get out, fly away. Oh, wait, no, not that hard. (laughs) Come back. Yeah, come back. Right. Yes. Yeah. And then you have to make sense of that, right? Then you have to then have enough inner strength to kind of both love your dad, but also I want this new version of me. I want this, what I'm able to see. Is that that right? A hundred percent. Start to claim it. Yeah. And I'll tell you what else, maybe we'll get into this more, but you know, what's really interesting is talking about this idea of limiting beliefs. I really love that quote from Henry Ford. I I think he was the first one to say it. That is whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Mm -hmm. And obviously there are exceptions to that and, and nuances to that in society. I understand that. But I feel like my dad's life is such an exemplar of that, right? It's such, like, I see him speak things over his life. I can never do that. That will never happen to me. It just doesn't work mm-hmm. that way where we are. And then I have all of this evidence to the contrary because we started in the same place. And I can say, yeah. like, but what if you didn't think that way? What if you did see that as a possibility? What if you tried? What if, you know, you gave it another effort there or what have you? And that's not to say that he doesn't, he works incredibly hard. He just works incredibly hard through the filter of this must always be hard. Yes. So it's been really challenging to like when we get together and we have conversations, there's like this mental tally where it's almost like I'm like, you know, you have to catch it in the moment and correct it in your head in the moment so that it doesn't continue to absorb while still honoring him and wanting to spend time with him. So, you know, him just sort of saying, like, let me tell you how the world is and me going in my head. I, that's not what I've experienced. Yeah. You know, you're showing a lot of maturity. That's the fruit, I would imagine, of years, uh, because instead of trying to you know, lock heads and try to get him out, it's more like, how do I show up? Yeah. honor the world that he sees while still knowing inside of me the world that I've encountered. Yeah. And there were years of the first one. There were years, yeah. to be fair, <laughs> there were years of the first one. Nope. That's Let's let's battle this out. Let me try to get yeah. you out of here. Let me try to rescue you. And it's just really, there. I think there comes a moment where every single person listening 
and each of us, you and I, we have to kind of realize that the only person we can truly control the thoughts of is ourselves. And the only person we can truly do that work on is ourselves. And it's, you want to rescue people and you want to change people and you want to like make them see what you've seen. But the only way you can do that, I think, is just through your life as an example. Amen. During these years, you go to England, you're kind of out in the world. How did you begin to change those beliefs? Was it conscious or was it just sort of a, over time you began to realize, wait a minute, it's different than what I thought? You know what's interesting is the first time I, I really spent a lot of time thinking about this when I was writing Dirt because I wrote this scene in the book. The first time I can remember vividly one of those beliefs being changed was when I got that Rotary Scholarship that I mentioned, where what that is, is a group of business people, men and women, who have done well enough in their businesses in their careers that they can give back and fund these scholarships for someone to go. It was called the Rotary Ambassadorial Scholarship. So I went Mm -hmm. for a year to England to be an ambassador of the Northern Montelia, I think, Rotary Club. And so I, while I was there studying and getting my master's, I went around to like 50 different Rotary Clubs in England and Scotland and Wales and gave presentations. I got to go speak on behalf of my home state, which was really, that was such a gift to get to expose people to West Virginia who might have some preconceived notion about it. But that was the first time there was this evidence to the contrary. Here was a living, vivid example right in front of my face of rich people doing good, right? It was always rich people or good people and the two are not the same. And so then I was like, well, but my life is being forever changed and impacted by people who went out, had success and had more than enough and chose to give it away and be generous with it. And so Mm -hmm. that was the first time I realized, oh, wait, like the people with good hearts, when they have more, they can go do good with it. It doesn't, you know, Mm -hmm. money is neutral. It's going to amplify who you are you work. So yeah, that's the first time. So you remember, it's isn't that interesting? We're like, oh, that binary, you know, that had been set up. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) It's not that simple. It's not that much of a dichotomy. There's a lot of, yeah, interesting Interesting. And so as you were moving along and then kind of at some point you applied to law school, did you ever seek help? Did you ever kind of look to mentors or anybody outside of you to help you? Because again, I think as you differentiate and even move beyond, I hate to use the word beyond, but separate out from the ways in which your primary caregivers had raised, you know, it's like Sometimes we we still need those those people to come in and help see us and help yeah. show us who we can become. Did anybody kind of enter in at a certain point mm. that helped you on that path? You know what's interesting, and I think this is important to even like pause and interject, and maybe we'll talk also a little bit about this later, but I think about this term filters. I have an entry in slow growth called of filters and underdogs. And that filter of there are good people or there are rich people, even after I'd started to see like, maybe that's not true because I'm experiencing the mm-hmm. benefit of rich people doing good here. People with ties, that was like another thing. People who wore ties to work were taking his my dad's daughter away from him a week after 9-11. These rich people sending her out mm-hmm. where he didn't feel comfortable, right? There was this challenge there. But even though I had started to see this evidence to the contrary, I very much walked into law school with that filter of, I will reject you before you can reject me because you're going to reject me once you know where I came from, once you know like how I grew up. I can remember the first time we visited Yale after I'd gotten in, we went in my dad's truck. And so here's this red pickup truck that you can hardly tell is red anymore because it's just coated in mud. Three chainsaws (laughs) in the back bed that he didn't bother to take out. We just drove 12 hours to Connecticut with chainsaws and empty Dr. Pepper cans in the back. And it's sitting on the street next to this carved stone gargoyle, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. ivory tower building or whatever. <laughs> and the door was locked. They weren't open yet for the year. And so I just went and put my face up against the stained glass and peered in. And that felt very symbolic. Like I would always be on the outside looking in. And I, if there's, I would not want to do law school over again. That was an intense experience. But if I could like movie montage it, do it over again, that's the one thing I would change is I kept as many people as possible at arm's length because I was just convinced like, if I try with you, you'll Mm -hmm. hurt me. You'll reject me before, or I'll reject you before you can reject me. And so that filter of unbelonging, that filter Mm -hmm. of not being enough, that Mm -hmm. filter of you have to be nothing short of perfect or you'll be rejected in most rooms and most tables mm. has carried through most of my life. And I am an Enneagram four. That's one of our fatal flaws is always feeling like we have this <laughs> missing piece 
So that's the first thing that I'll say in a very long form way is that it's a daily battle to recognize mm. and take captive. That's a filter. That's a filter. That's a filter. And I think the way that that filter has become more transparent, one of my favorite lines in slow growth, as I say, like Marty McFly's parents disappearing from the four corners of a frame, my filter knows that it can't allow me to change too much of the story or it will become transparent. Um, mm. This this currency of confirmation bias. And so the more people I have met who maybe came from a background of having a lot, who are still mm -hmm. incredibly kind people, the mm -hmm. more that filter has disappeared. So it's not been like an official mentor, I would say. It's just been being mm. introduced to a wide variety of people with a wide variety of stories and seeing that we're all just trying to go out and use our gifts to help the mm. world and do our best. So that was a really, we took a detour there through <laughs> a few different topics, but I think that's important in terms of, there was never just like a one person, you know, came in and, and taught me how to let go of it. It's been like meeting a lot of people. I love that. It's that whole life is a contact sport, yes. you know, cliche, <laughs> yeah. right? That as you bumped into people, and, and what I love about what you're saying, it's like what I hear is the armor. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a pretty heavy duty armor when you landed on the campus of law school and this limiting belief, right? Yeah. Of, you're not going to, if you know me, you'll reject me. So I'll reject you first, yeah. right? But it was, it sounds to me like just through these different interactions, bumping in to all different kinds of people, that armor became a filter yeah. that you then could, it's not that it goes away, but you then had the power to go, wait a minute, wait, is that, is that a belief? Is it true? Mm. I mean, that just says so much for your own kind of power of curiosity. Right. Right. That's the way, you know? Yeah. Yes, I love Wait, that. I'm noticing that this isn't quite adding up. You know, I'm bumping into these people who are very different from me, and maybe they even are getting to know my story. Mm -hmm. Presumably, yeah. over time, you began to let them in. Yeah. And wait, they're they're not they're not leaving. Yeah. And you know what's interesting, yeah. Allison, is I've had to go through the same process you just described through the Christian author world. Like I was just a hundred percent convinced I wasn't gonna be Christian enough for some people <laughs> that I, or I was gonna say the wrong thing and immediately be kicked out of the club. And when we, you know, we all kind of talked about this when we got together in Arizona. That's like the first time we were all seeing people really after the last couple of years. And it's like, you mm -hmm. have to remember how to people again. But part of that was just me constantly believing like there's going to come a day, there's going to come a day where it's like, you, oh, you listen to that music or you watch that movie or, or whatever the case may be, you, you know, you, you live in this state, whatever, where the circle was. And so yeah. it's just a continual, like you get it under control in one area. You got to be, yeah. you just got to be vigilant in all areas of your life to see where's this filter sneaking back in. And for me, a big one, besides the one I just said, it's just perpetually in business. There are so many places where I self-sabotage and make things harder than they have to be because of that belief that if it came easy or I didn't have to struggle mm. for it, I don't deserve it. It can't, cannot possibly mm. be that easy. It cannot possibly be that easy that you just build out this mm -hmm. thing and you turn it on and it starts working. Mm -hmm. So I, I catch myself doing that all the time. And one of the most helpful analogies I heard actually very close to when I saw you in Arizona was somebody was talking about your capacity and that if you only have a capacity for holding good things that is the size of a shot glass, then every single time more good than that comes into your life, you will unconsciously, subconsciously, all of those consciously self-sabotage to get back down to that capacity because you think that's mm -hmm. all you deserve. And like mm -hmm. it's, it was talking about expanding to like infinity pool capacity. And that's, I think that's the work of my life right now. Yeah. One of the things I loved when I met you, Mary, was this is, and I wonder if this is something you do to help with that filter, is you would ask, right? So if you would say something, and, and I think this is really good for those of you who are listening. It's a great practice. And I talk about the power of just ask, mm. right? So if you had that feeling like, I think I just said something that, that everybody might be, you know, questioning or, you know, you're starting to tell yourself a story, right? You would ask, you would say, hey, I just said this thing. Thing? Did that land oddly on any of you? Or are we good? You know, you'd kind of check in and yeah. it was so endearing and just so like, <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Not one iota. Like, that didn't, I, I thought it was great that you suggested, you know, we stop and get a drink somewhere or whatever, you know. <laughs> You know, and you would just be like, wait, I just want to double check. Did just want to check in with you. Was that yeah. okay that I said that? You know, and it wasn't, you didn't, you know, it, it, you did it in such a way that really 
disarmed everybody, mm-hmm. right? Made it safe for everybody to go, oh, heck no, that that was, you know, I was great with that. Yeah. Or I think if somebody did have a problem with it, they would, you know. <laughs> but I could tell you'd put a lot of thought and effort mm-hmm. into what you're just describing, right? I know I'm going to have these thoughts come in. Yeah. I've done the work enough to know it's better to just put it on the table and ask. Yeah, 100%. Ask I love that. I love that you brought that up because it solves so many problems. And for anybody who's listening, it's not from a please approve of me place. I have no. plenty of those. <laughs> but this is just like a clarity of communication thing. And so I had one with my team the other day. We were on a call and I was talking to, I have a, a chief marketing officer, which sounds very fancy, but she's essentially just like a marketing expert who helps me. And she is pretty fancy. And she said, <laughs> we were talking about a, a portion of a, a funnel that we're building out. And she'd said, you know, I don't think it's impossible for sure. I just think we got to like reevaluate some other things. And she was just like going through her analysis. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. Will you just say that to me a different way? Because right now my Enneagram three wing filter that mm-hmm. I have on my ears just like freaked out a little because I didn't even know impossible was on the table. <laughs> so just say that to me again, maybe a different way. So I can just yes. really understand what you're saying. And she was like, oh my gosh, yeah, no, that's not what I was saying at all. And I think so many of us walking around with these filters, we have no idea how many times our hearts have been just absolutely broken or we felt immediately yes. rejected by somebody and they could not have meant something more different. And just ask, exactly. Exactly. And they go back to those first formative years. We Those formative years, that's why I always say, let's go back to like, yeah. you know, those it, 17, 18, because that's when all those beliefs got, we got cooked in that soup, right? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, one of mine is if I'm not helping you, I'm irrelevant. Yeah. Right? That's that strong two wing that I have. And and that was just cooked. It was baked into me. Yeah. And so I can become aware of it all day long, but I still have to kind of check myself, you know, and then yeah. say to the person, like, I was sick last week. And, and so I just immediately feel unworthy because I'm not doing all the work. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> say, you know, and just name it. Take that in. And again, it's not needing pr- approval. We're doing it for ourselves. Yeah. We're saying, I need to, I need to speak up on what's happening inside of me mm. because I'm going to be healthier. Yes. Then yeah. as a result. And our relationship is going to be healthier. Yes. All of that. All of that. And it's, I mean, I think what we're really like talking about here is just this idea of like, and you said something so profound. I'm trying, maybe you'll re- like remember it and, and say it again for us here if you can. You said it in Arizona and we were talking about this idea of feelings and like, you know, that sort of like common instruction that like, you know, your feelings can't be trusted kind of thing. And you had said something like, mm-hmm. I know what you're saying, but actually they can kind of point to some more important things. So so I think what we're doing here is we're saying, I'm feeling something, I'm hearing something, my filter's doing yep. something. Yep. And it, I know it's not accurate, but it's pointing me to a pain that I have now, a bruise maybe. So do you remember what I'm talking about at all? Like, it was so good. I do say all the time, because I was taught, you know, your emotions can't be trusted. Mm. I think a lot of people in church communities were. Yeah. And so I do say, and it's 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 sort of, there's limiting beliefs, but our beliefs are attached to these feelings, right? Mm. They conjure up those feelings inside of us. So it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, wait, there's something has activated yes. something inside of me. This is the process of self-awareness. Mm. And this is how we become aware of the limiting beliefs. That's activated a fear. That's activated a fear of rejection, a fear of whatever. Yeah. And um, instead of speaking from that and being like, hey, are you okay with me? Which is actually, we speak on behalf Mm -hmm. of what was activated. Say, when this happened, here's what was stirred up inside of me. Yes. Let's just get a check on what was really clear. It's, it's It's just a slightly more nuanced way of advocating for ourselves. Yeah. That's where we have a choice in how that thing that lands on us, whatever it is, whatever that sensitivity, whatever, however that lands on us, we can believe something about the other person, we can believe something about ourselves, or we can actually get curious and inquiry yeah. it and figure out what's actually going on. Yeah, I love that so much. And it's just sort of like, I always kind of like just picture like emotional owies, emotional bruises, you know, somebody's just yes. come up and like poked a bruise. And they didn't know that there was a bruise under that sweater, but like you kind of saying like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling this. What what needs some attention? What needs some healing yes. here? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And giving the other person a chance to be a healthy, mature adult too. Now, sometimes, you know, people will come back with the thing that hurts. And so that's, yeah. that's the risk we take. We want to do that in a way that ensures our own safety too, because sometimes we can be disappointed. But 
I loved that. So I want to just, Mary, ask you now, from where you are now, where you've, I love what you said, you've, you've sort of, you're living in this house with the golden retrievers. <laughs> you've, you've got this really creative life where you've had success in a number of different ways, not the least of which success of just a wholehearted person and, and wholehearted relationships, beautiful relationships, and just this life that you've created, right? Mm. If you were to look back on 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old Mary, who was so torn, right? Yeah. What would you want her to know mm-hmm. now? You know, the first thing that popped into my mind when you said that was, you know, start therapy early. <laughs> you know, start the work of getting healed sooner. And I say that and I'm not even, you know, just spoiler alert, I'm not in therapy right now. I've, I've looked into it. It's something that I very deeply want to do writing a book like Dirt and ripping open Pandora's box without the support of a therapist is not something I would recommend. And so, but I would say to that person, you know, I love that thing that goes around on Facebook pretty regularly. That's like what happened to you is not your fault, but it is your responsibility to mm. get healed and to not continue to put that on other mm. people. And so I'm always torn between that belief, you know, of like everything happened the way it was supposed to and in God's timing and like you needed to be on this journey to get to the point where I started writing. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to write a book when I was five and I didn't write dirt until I was 40. And I've always said like time created softening and, you know, that Mm -hmm. was the the one I was meant to write that book. But if I could go back and talk to 18-year-old Mary, I would say start getting healed now because you Mm -hmm. are going to allow wounds and limiting beliefs and traumas to continue to inform your life for way too long. And you're going to make it so much harder on yourself than it needs to be. You know, there's Mm -hmm. that, that whole premise of we return to what is familiar, not because it's healthy or good or Mm -hmm. safe, but because it's familiar. We return to what's familiar because it's comfortable, even if it's not for our good. And so there've been so many times when I catch myself doing things that will, you know, play small in business or draw back just when something's starting to take off because I don't know how to have the identity of someone who mm-hmm. lives in abundance. I return to scarcity, you know. Yes, I love that. I love what you just said that you did get to where you wanted to be, right? You did get to write the book. You did get to experience this life. But I hear you kind of saying there's still a part of you that's like I wonder if that young, younger version of me had known what I know now, she maybe would have gotten started a little bit earlier and could have lived with a little bit less of that internal scarcity. Yeah. You know, there's a song from Mercy Me. It's called Dear Younger Me. And it's like, oh, what are the lyrics? It's something like, would I go back and tell you? or, Or, you know, is this what made you who you are? And that's the tension. That's the tension, right? It's like, could I, would I go back and make it easier on 18 year old Mary? Or did I need to go through that stuff to be sitting here with you right now as the person I am? That's the tension. And I don't know the answer. I'm very curious to your thoughts. That is a great, (laughs) that's sort of the million dollar question, right? Yeah. Because you do want to save her from some of the pain. Yeah. And yet the pain has created so much of the beauty of what you've been able to put into the world. Yeah. What would you say to anyone who's listening right now, who's really struggled with limiting beliefs, with scarcity mindset? What would you say to her? Mm. You know, I think the first thing is to just start to pay attention, start noticing, start this act of noticing. And there's so many people listening right now, I guarantee it. You know, I don't actually gamble, but I would bet everything I have on this right here. And I'm not at all afraid to lose. There are people listening right now who are sitting on a dream. They're sitting on their gifts. They're sitting on their abilities. They're sitting on their story. They're sitting on that thing that they can't go a day without thinking about that they know they were put here to do. And they're not doing it because of some really common scripts that the resistance loves to use on us. So they are it's already been done. It's already been done better. It's already been done by somebody the world actually wants to pay attention to. I can't do it until it's perfect. I can't do it until I know every single step of the blueprint. I know exactly how to get from A to B. I can't do it because I don't have the bandwidth. What if I start it and I can't stay consistent? I feel like an imposter. I feel like a fraud. I feel like I'll be found out. Who am I to say this? What if the critics come for me? Mm. Boom. One, if not all of those scripts is on repeat in your head. And now you can start to notice them. You can start to notice them 
when you start to think about that thing and they pop up and you can just go, gosh, you really are very boring resistance. You really don't have any other scripts, do you? And so it's very similar, I think, for limiting beliefs and that scarcity is just begin to notice how it continues to come up and the thoughts that zip through your head, how they're actually not that creative. And you can retrain so your good. brain to go, cool, cool. So when the resistance shows up like that, I must be onto something really good because otherwise it wouldn't be afraid. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that, Mary. That's a good word. <laughs> Tell people how they can find you. Tell us about your new book. Yeah. Yeah. So the the two books we've been talking about, Dirt was the first book, came out in uh, September 2020. And this book, Slow Growth Equals Strong Reads, is the follow-up to it. It just came out May of this year. And so I have been lovingly saying these books are like fraternal twin sisters. Like they're sort of like bookends of a story that should, I think, be read together. And Dirt itself is divided into two parts, the girl in the trailer and the girl after the trailer. And I like to think of these two books as Dirt is the love letter to the girl in the trailer, this girl who grew up with a story with where she didn't have a lot or she feels like, you know, that's her origin. And then Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots is really a love letter to that girl after, that woman after, who has worked mm -hmm. her entire life thinking that if she could just build a life pretty enough on the outside, no mm -hmm. one would ever realize what was going on on the inside. No one would ever realize what she's overcome in her story. And now she's done it. Everything around her is stuff she once dreamed of. And she is more exhausted and lonelier and more dissatisfied than she's ever been. And so book two is really about, so if book one, Dirt, is about making peace with our past, this one is about setting our present free from the prison of our mm. past. If, are we still making decisions right now because of our past? Then we've got to find a way to find our identity and our purpose separate from how much we can try to achieve our way into worth. Uh, I think we got a part two of this interview coming. <laughs> yes. Now I want to dive into that, right? Yes. Because of course, of course you would go. It makes perfect sense. And I appreciate your honesty, right? You would go from one extreme to the other in a way. Yeah. Oh, now I can do this. Okay, now I'm going to do it like crazy. Right. And, that, <laughs> and now I'm going to achieve my, I mean, it makes sense, right? And so to come back to true north yeah. is a whole nother part of the journey. So let's come, I, I actually would love to have you on and maybe come back. 100%, I'm in. To that, because that's a whole nother way. I, yeah, yeah, I could, I could just dive into there right now. But let's, for today, I want to, first of all, tell us where people can find you. They can find your books anywhere books are sold. Yeah. You have a wonderful podcast where you really dig deep into people's stories, The Mary Morantz Show. Yeah. Yeah. If you, I'll tell you what, everybody listening, if you actually go to Mary Morantz, that's M-A-R-Y-M-A-R-A-N-T-Z dot com slash quiz, we have put together a quiz called the Your Achiever Type Quiz where you will, it's like a minute or two to take it. And it actually tells you in slow growth, we go through a few different kinds of these characters of the woman always performing, the performer, the tightrope walker, the illusionist in the distance, the masquerader and the contortionist, where you are motivated by different reasons to go after goals. And therefore you get tripped up going after them for different reasons. So it'll tell you what your type is, but more importantly, it'll tell you how to break free from those limitations and move into purpose. And so that's a great place to start. And from there, you it will easily click over to the podcasts and the books and the blog and all of that. But if you can't remember marymorans.com slash quiz, you can just go to achieverquiz.com. And we'll link to all this in the show notes. Yeah. That's awesome, Mary. You're doing such great stuff. So I ask every guest the following questions as we close. What or who is bringing out the best of you right mm. now? You know, I think it is an unexpected margin in my calendar. So we actually just made the choice to move my third book from the fall of 2023 to spring of 2024, which means for the first time in at least three years, if not 15 years, depending on when you start counting, I actually have some months ahead of me to just be able to be, <laughs> to just be, mm. you know, I mean, I'm obviously still going to be running our businesses and things like that, but I don't have an immediate deadline weighing on me. And so mm. I am currently trying to figure out what it looks like to summer again. You know, I keep going back to summers as a kid. Like, I'm like, okay, we need icy popsicles. I know that. Maybe a bonfire, <laughs> riding bikes. Like, I'm just trying to even remember what you do if you get to be mm. a human again. So I would say like just a return to Mary as a person versus Mary as a brand or Mary as a business owner or whatever. That's definitely been bringing out the best to me. I love that. And I want that for you and with you. Yeah. 
And then secondly, what this might go hand in hand with that. What needs or desires Mm -hmm. are you working to protect? Yeah, I think it is that. I think it's, there's an entry in slow growth called the girl who always comes through, the woman who always comes Mm -hmm. through. And it's talking about how when you train people by the disciplined instruction of your hands, your own hands, that you are the one who always comes through, that you are the one who always delivers, the one who gets the A plus, the one who knocks it out of the park. People like us, perfection becomes the new average. And Mm -hmm. you find yourself being treated by and seeing yourself as this machine cranking out an ever endless Mm -hmm. supply of more. And you reach a point where the fear of letting other people down becomes scarier to you than when you actually do completely burn out. And so I Mm -hmm. am trying to protect Mary as human, Mary not as machine, because what just keeps happening is these huge peaks and valleys. I work with a couple coaches and we've been working on this for a while to like flatten out the all ins and then the recovery times. Cause what tends to happen is I push myself to like completely like collapse and then I disappear for months. So we're trying to just like keep some good firm foundations of and and boundaries, honestly, and, and saying to people who've come to depend on me always delivering, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And if you're disappointed, oh. that's that's too bad. That's too bad. Oh, yeah. good for you, Mary. <laughs> that <laughs> I I love that for you. Yeah. I love me too. That for you, and it's gonna make the next writing that you do. You know, this is the that's the paradox of all of this, right? Is yeah. when we take the time to step back and be human. Yeah. It makes what we bring into the world all the more rich. And you've just brought so much goodness to so many people. Thank you for your time today. I am so grateful for you. I have gleaned so much from you. And I know so many of our listeners today are going to be so touched by this conversation and will connect to everything you mentioned on the show notes. So thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. We'll see you next week on The Best of You. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Best of You. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources and links mentioned in the show. You can find those on my website at drallisoncook.com. That's Allison with one L, cook.com. Before you forget, I hope you'll follow the show now so that you don't miss an episode. And I'd love it if you'd go ahead and leave a review. It helps so much to get the word out. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, You honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.